We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Wire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And joining me on super short notice is Jeff Ponce of Baseball America. Uh, usually, I book my guests uh, a week, maybe even two or three weeks in advance, uh, especially around draft time. Everyone's super busy this time of year. Sure. Uh, but uh, I had a, a first where I booked a guest uh, Mason McRae was going to come on and talk uh, college hitters with me. And in between when I booked him and when the pod was supposed to air, uh, he got hired by the Cubs. <laughs> so uh, that's a first for me. And I, I only found out by I was going to DM him the questions I was going to ask him. And I went to his Twitter page and then I saw his announcement about the Cubs from like five days ago. And uh, I mean, I'm not on Twitter all the time, but pretty bad algorithm to not have me see that at all from someone <laughs> I'm following that has like a thousand likes or whatever. So, uh, but Jeff uh, was someone who I, I am good enough friends with where I felt I could ask him on short notice and he, he stepped up. So really appreciate you joining me, man. How are you doing? No sweat. And I'll, I'll make sure that uh, I do justice to Mason's beliefs and the type of college hitters we'll talk about because <laughs> Mason and I are, are close friends. We talk all throughout the day, especially during the college baseball season, I have a group text with Mason and uh, two of our other mutual friends that kind of talk about crazy ideas and share information and, you know, talk about uh, the college game. Maybe that's going to slow down a little bit now because Mason is uh, employed by a team who got a lot of good friends that work for the Cubs um, in terms of cross checkers, area folks, a lot of people that I've known from the Cape over the last couple of years that were interns, younger folks that got hired by the Cubs organization. So they've been beefing up their scouting and analytics and player development. And uh, I think you can tell just by the number, sheer number of hires, but also the quality of hires. So, you know, shots to, to Mr. McRae on, on uh, his internship over this summer. Yeah. Congratulations to Mason. Uh, let's uh, we're going to talk draft, but first I just wanted to get some quick hitters in on on some of the bigger names that have made their big league debut or about to make their big league debut uh obviously tanner bybee and and logan allen have been um you know very adequate um better than adequate at at times for the guardians but i know you and i have been kind of gavin williams first guys in that org among the pitchers uh he finally is going to make his long-awaited big league debut today against the Oakland A's, uh, which is fortuitous uh, for a, a 
prospect to be making their big league debut at home against the A's. Uh, what, do, what do people need to know about Gavin Williams and, and what he's going to bring to the table? Yeah, I think when you're, when you're chatting Gavin Williams um, and you've seen the success of some of the other Guardians pitching prospects that have come up who were rated behind Williams in Tanner Bybee, um, and Logan Allen, which, by the way, were both like respective top 100 prospects entering the season. Um, so it's not like there weren't expectations there that they were going to be very good. I just think when you look at the quality of stuff with Williams, um, it's just a tick higher, you know, particularly when we're talking about the four seam fastball. Bybee had a good combination of ride and velocity um, early in the season prior to getting called up. I think we've seen that since he's been called up. Um, but Williams has kind of had it since day one. And it's a guy that sits 95 to 97 miles per hour. He'll run the four seam fastball up to 99, hundred miles per hour. Um, really efficient, um, spin access, meaning, you know, the amount of spin that he gets on the four seam fastball contributes to movement, which generates heavy bore, which is ride, but not only ride, but arm side run. Um, we've seen some sort of corrections when guys get to Hawkeye. Um, so you can take a look at the AAA data. I know I have some AA data as well, which is about 18 inches of induced vertical break um, up to 19, 20, with about 10 to 11 inches of horizontal break. So it's kind of getting that heavy bore, as I mentioned. He mixes in a sort of power gyro slider in the mid to high 80s. It will sit anywhere from like 84 to 86, 87, 88 miles per hour, 89 even at peak. Um not a ton of sweep on it. You know, it's, it's, it's more sort of bullet spin. Um, he will get some cut on that pitch at times and more sweep than other times has a curveball. Um, it's a little bit slower in the mid seventies, but has like serious two plane, uh, movement. And when we see sort of that depth and horizontal, uh, break, you know, sort of in addition to that depth, regardless of what the velocity is, we still sort of see it as a swing and miss pitch. He'll throw that early in counts and sort of set up the fastball, and the slider, um, there's a cutter variation as well, um, which is like a little bit harder version of the slider with a little bit less horizontal. And then he'll throw his change up as well. It's definitely his least used pitch, but he'll he'll show five or six different pitch shapes, um, all with really high quality stuff. I mean, when I look down the list in terms of like what their minor league stuff plus number was, it's in the 120s for the fastball, um, above 100 for the slider, about 110. Um, curveballs and changeups typically don't rate all that well. He does have a, above a hundred number on the changeup, and then the cutter is about 107. So we're talking to like a deep arsenal across the board. He does throw strikes. He misses bats. He's six foot six. I mean, he's a big-bodied sort of the, your prototypical style starter. Um, I think Bybee fits into that prototype as like that sleek guy who moves pretty well. Um, but you know, Williams is just like a a pure power right-hander that I think is going to be able to really dominate competition um, and has a deep arsenal. Like he kind of checks all the boxes. Um, you never know what's going to happen with these minor league pitches when they first get called up, but he does seem like the guy that could be putting up five to six inning starts consistently throughout the season, nine to 10, 11 strikeouts. Like he's that kind of a guy. Um, let's hope that happens. Knock on wood. But uh, I think he's got that quality. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another nice thing about Williams, he built up to 115 innings last year, and he's only at around 60 so far this year. So 
you know, I think sky's the limit in terms of workload rest of the season. They're not going to run him into the ground or anything, but I, I don't think they're going to have to really baby him a ton in, from a workload standpoint, which is nice for, for people in redraft leagues at least. And I mean, there could be some trades that happen. They have some, we'll say, you know, spare veteran starters that are under decent contracts that may be a contender or somebody who's looking for some starting pitching depth could move to, um, and, you know, they could even go six man and sort of make sure that they rest uh, and limit the innings with guys like Allen, Bybee, and then Williams now in the fold. Yeah. And he, uh, for people in redraft leagues, uh, would line up for two starts next week in theory uh, at KC and at the Cubs. So I would assume that if he kind of is as advertised today, uh, there will be some pretty intense bidding on him uh, this Sunday. Uh, a guy who there was um, a decent amount of excitement for in terms of fab this past Sunday was Emmett Sheehan, uh, who had a really fun debut outing. He didn't, uh, miss quite as many bats as as some were expecting but it was still a, a really fun outing to watch uh what are your thoughts on on Sheehan and just kind of his his season almost you know to date it's just been a, a whirlwind really I mean he he was someone that you know you and I have been texting about for for a while yeah. um before this season but uh he just kind of showed up and really kind of proved that he was a dude right away. And then he skips over triple a, which is a rarity for, for the Dodgers. Um, you know, they had a lot of guys dealing with injuries, not performing. So uh, it was kind of a need based promotion there, but uh, what are your thoughts just on the season he's had and what to expect from Sheehan going forward? Yeah. Um, I think when he came out this year, it was just, the shape had always been there, and this is dating back to. I have a, ro- a lot of history with Sheehan because he was at he was at Boston College when Sal Frelick was there, and Cody Morissette was out at those games a lot. That was a very watchable Boston College team, and it was 2021, so it was kind of getting back out to the park. Those were some of the first official games I had before the minor league season opened up in May that year. So I had this stretch run of being able to see Sheehan three or four times, and the fastball shape was always there. Um, the velocity was more like 93 to 96 at that point, but really more like three to four. Um, slider shape was not great through a curveball more often than the slider and then had the good changeup. And since he's gotten into the, you know, sort of the Dodgers system and under their development tutelage, which should be no shock to anyone who follows this, um, he's been able to develop a better slider but also add velocity onto the fastball and maintaining that shape and in some ways even making it better. Um, This year, he took a step up in terms of velocity, maintained the shape, was sitting like mid-90s. And I think we saw some of that in, you know, his debut. Um, But, you know, I also think like there were maybe some questions about some of the numbers that we had for – particularly like the ride on the fastball. And if maybe that was off a little bit, if he was juiced up, we don't totally know. Um, But I do think that like, this is a, uh, this is a potential team, a player where there's opportunity there in Los Angeles right now in that rotation. I do think that we'll see a better version of Sheehan than the one that threw six scoreless, no hit innings. (laughs) 
as crazy as that sounds, just yeah. in terms of bat missing ability. I think like you look at San Francisco, they're a little bit tougher to beat. Um, I think there's going to be teams where they're yeah. not as good fastball hitters and Sheehan's going to be able to sort of dominate with that shape. And he's not going to be as juiced up. He's going to settle in a little bit. Changeup is of quality. It's a pretty good slider. Um, but I think that fastball, we just didn't see necessarily the best of it. But I think if you watch the start, regardless of what the stuff numbers, et cetera, because our stuff numbers in the minors were way better than what we had seen at the major league level. It was like in the 130s, you know, and maybe that's a little high, um, but it's still like it's an above average pitch. So like a plus, it's a pretty easy plus pitch. And I, I you know, at that point I, coming into the start, I thought it was arguably the best fastball in the minor leagues. I'm not really moving off of that at all. But yeah. I think when, you know, you look at a guy that throws from this release height with this much spin of efficiency, and we've seen the spin efficiency stuff sort of play out, excuse me, yeah, over the course of um, that first start where it was like a 99% spin efficiency, it's just such a hard shape for guys to barrel up. And if you watched it, you can literally see the ride coming out of his hand because of what that release height is because of what the spin efficiency is. He's one of those few guys where you can sign a kind of visually see that ball ride up in the zone. Um, and that's where he was attacking was like right above the zone. So I think with certain teams, that's going to play a little bit better. And, you know, it was just one start, you know, home, home start, big ballpark, big crowd families there. You're juiced up. I think we'll see even even better from Sheehan because, you know, the results in the minor leagues from this guy were as good, if not better than Stone or Miller or any of these guys that have come up for the Dodgers over the last couple of years. I mean, he's pretty special and he's got some pretty special characteristics that I think will play out to be, you know, above average. And he's shown the ability to get deep into starts, be efficient with pitches and, you know, go five or six innings over the last month. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I thought that was a good point about the the Giants. You know, they they don't have just this loaded lineup of you know monster hitters, but you know, few two few teams do a better job of setting a lineup each day with hitters who might have some success against that day's pitcher, whether it's just handedness or you know strengths of of hitting high fastballs versus strengths of hitting low fastballs. You know, like. It's just it's a good point that I mean, that's not an easy lineup to have a ton of success against, um, despite the, the lack of, you know, high impact hitters and this Astros lineup he's going to face in his second start. It's not it's not the scariest Astros lineup um, without Jordan Alvarez. Uh, they really just have Kyle Tucker as a lefty. Uh, so I could see him having uh, a lot of success against the Astros in his second start. So excited to see how that goes. Yeah. Same here. Um, you know, and I think as he starts to get against some weaker lineups too, <laughs> yeah. we'll start to see the the swing and miss um, climb up a little bit, you know, uh, Houston's at the bottom of the league and strikeout rate. And San Francisco hasn't been great, but I think, as you said, like we, we take a look at like what their splits are against righties. They're, they're a pretty good right-hand hitting team. So we got Henry Davis and Bo Naylor joining the uh, catcher eligible players in the pool for redraft leagues. Uh, Henry Davis has just been on a tear this season prior to getting to the big leagues, certainly earned the promotion. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Davis and how the Pirates have deployed him uh, as a right fielder? 
uh, so far. Yeah, the right field thing is a little unusual. I mean, um, he's athletic enough to sort of pull that off. Uh, but <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, I hadn't necessarily anticipated that. I think it also screams to um, some of the Pirates' needs right now in terms of uh, their roster construction and, you know, how some players that we could talk about uh, a little bit later on in this podcast could potentially fit into their roster <laughs> seemingly on day one. Um, but, you know, the bat this year, I think we've seen health from Davis, which frankly had been, you know, a bit of an issue last year. Um, the real knocks on the profile have been the, the defense behind the plate. Um, got a good arm, but he's not a great receiver. Um, not all that comfortable in the crouch. Uh, the defense had better reports this year, but I think the reason we've seen his stock climb so much, it's been the hitting ability. Um, everything has been there in terms of, you know, contact rates and that sort of thing. They're in an above average to just about plus range in zone whiff is well below, uh, 20%. So it's in the, that teen area where, you know, you start to see guys with that, that have some impact. It's really exciting. Um, you know, in terms of the chase rate, he doesn't chase a whole lot, but his, you know, his chase rate's under 20%. Um, but the swing rate is above 40%, which is good to see. It means that he's not overly passive. You know, he will attack strikes. And when he does swing at strikes, as we see from the end zone whiff rate, he does make contact. And then moving on to the exit velocity numbers, you know, we're talking 89 mile per hour average exit velocity, a 107 plus in terms of the 90th percentiles, so the top 10% of batted ball. Um, and his, he always hits balls above 110 this year, 111, 112. Barrel rate is in the double digit range. Um, you know, if you think, if you see the swing, even a few times, I think you can see that he takes good attack angles and launch angles to the ball. Um, so there's not much of a question there. Does a lot of damage and the expected number is really good. Um, so I think Davis is one of these guys where it's almost a benefit if he's DHing, playing right field, you know, but keeping catcher eligibility, I would imagine, for all of the season, um, that's a really valuable player. And I think that the offense is there. And he's not going to take the wear and tear and, you know, see his hands get beat up from catching. I think that's something that we sometimes underrate with catchers that um, there's very few guys that are consistently good offensive performers from year in and year out at that position. So um, if he's getting run in a few different places, which he always sort of has, I think that would be good to see. It wouldn't shock me if he maybe ends up uh, getting a few starts at first base. If he ends up getting those and qualifies, it's like catcher, outfield, first base. That's pretty valuable because, you know, he can fill, especially in five outfielder leagues with a corner outfield spot. You know, you're talking about a guy that can fill, you know, effectively eight positions in your offense. So uh, there's valuable there. There's, you know, potential flexibility. And, you know, why would the Pirates call him up and then send him back down? Uh, at this point, you know, they should be looking to get all these guys as many opportunities as possible. And he didn't seem like he was all that challenged at AAA. He started to hit almost immediately upon call up, uh, making lots of hard contact. So definitely a name to buy in on this week in Fab. Yeah, this is we're at the point in the calendar where this is a window where, like, if you're going to call a guy up, this is a great time to do it. Uh, you're past the Super 2. Uh, Otherwise, you're kind of waiting until September, maybe, uh, unless it's just developmentally someone's not ready. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I definitely get that. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether he maintains catcher eligibility heading into next year. Uh, doesn't really look like he's on track to get 20 starts at catcher this year, but 
that'll be big. And then, you know, part, I, I usually go after uh, two decent catchers in redraft. And so I don't have like any teams with like a, a really terrible catcher. I'm looking to upgrade, but sure. He's, he's kind of, um, he's interesting in that, you know, you might, especially in like deeper mixed leagues, he might be a viable option to start in the outfield once he gets that eligibility. And then you might be able to carry three catcher eligible players in case one of your catchers gets hurt. So a uh, very interesting player just for, from a redress standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Um, and a guy that I think the next couple of years will be pretty valuable and he might get 20 catchers behind uh, 20 catchers, 20 games behind the plate at catcher. That, that wouldn't shock me. I mean, it's just a matter of them working them in a couple of times a week over the next few months. And uh, I think there's a chance they do do that to get his bat in the lineup. Just maybe it's a matter of, certain pitchers he clicks with and, and guys that he's, you know, worked with before or um, that feel comfortable throwing to, to Davis. So it wouldn't shock me. Where are you at on Bo Naylor? Uh, I've, I've really been kind of uh, intrigued by his raw tools, uh, the, the power, you know, it's, it's very easy to see. Uh, I was a bit more intrigued when he was running like he was last year. Um, sure. But how do you do you see this being like kind of a growing pains rookie season with him adjusting to big league pitching? Do you see him having enough value here to be to kind of move the needle? Yeah, you know, I like the all overall player and the skill set. He's one of these guys that falls into the category of someone who makes, you know, average or better contact. Um, it's above average approach. There's impact there as well. So the quality of contact is pretty good. Um, and we've seen him have success in the upper minors, uh, particularly in AAA over the last two seasons. I think it's about 125 games or so, but, um, you know, has 28 home runs over that period has maintained a walk rate, uh, you know, around 13%, uh, last year and this year it was actually above 18% in about 60 games. Um, it's not the best defensive catcher. They're having some throwing issues, et cetera, over the last year. Uh, but it is a left-handed bat, some power, some approach, some contact. Um, it would shock me if he does sort of initially struggle. I think we saw that with Naylor when he made the jump um, to double A in 2021 after missing the year in 2020, which probably would have been his high A season, and then you know spending the full year uh, at low A in the previous season it's one of those things where I do think there could be some growing pains there. It could take some, him some time to adjust. Uh, it's a big jump from triple A to the major leagues, just like it's a big jump from any level of a ball to double a. And I think just historically we have seen that struggle. Um, the opportunity is certainly there. I mean, you you have Cam Gallagher as their as their backup catcher and he shouldn't steal too many starts <laughs> from Naylor. Um, and they've made some adjustments. So I, I think that he could be a guy that, you know, could see a lot of runway the rest of the way, maybe 80% of the opportunities behind first, I mean, behind the plate, can't play some first, can DH. So it's not, it's not a bad move. I'd be more interested in, in Davis. Just, I think the offensive upside is maybe a little bit cleaner uh, to see, but it wouldn't shock me. And, you know, Lord knows the, the guardian being the guy that gets on base and can hit for a little bit of power in the middle of that order <laughs> alongside yeah. his, I mean, Davis, Davis d does seem, he seems like he's maybe more ready to kind of hit the ground running. Um, and obviously the guardians, they, 
really value catcher defense, but it's a lot easier to have the Zanino or Austin Hedges in there when Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez and Stephen Kwan are really hitting, um, which they haven't really done this year like they did last year. So I definitely think they were looking to kind of juice the offense a little bit there. Um, yeah, I mean those guys are out of the organization now too, you know. Um, so they've made they've made a clear commitment to nail it. Right. Um, right. It's just a matter of he's probably going to hit at the bottom of the lineup. You're going to need some um, production there, sort of immediately. I, I think a little bit to sort of justify him being rostered right now. Um, where Davis, like it's a similar lineup position, but um, I just think that flexibility of not having to catch every single day. Um, and he's actually spilling time with with Austin Hedges, funny enough. Uh, <laughs> see how that all sort of works out. So some musical chairs here with two players that I, I do think in the right setting, especially two catcher leagues where maybe you're a little bit deficient at one of your catcher spots. It, like he's they're both very much worthy of a bid. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. All right, let's move on to preview the MLB draft, which is man, it's two weeks away. That's uh, it's yeah. wild. Um, I yeah, it's it's really snuck up on me. Uh, as you know, I don't I don't follow uh, amateurs year round. I uh, just don't really have time, and uh, so I'm I'm kind of cramming, you know, in the the month six weeks leading up to the draft. Uh, I did a bunch of prep on the top college hitters in the class uh, in anticipation of talking with Mason, but I, I've barely done anything on the uh, pitchers or the high school hitters. Um, but I did want to ask just some kind of more broad draft questions before we get into the exact players. Um, you know, it just seems like there is a massive, massive gap in terms of the publicly available data on draft prospects versus the uh, privately uh, available data. Uh, where would you, where would you look if you're a, if you're someone who whose team drafts a guy or you just kind of want to do your own research uh, like what types of 
publicly available stuff is even out there that you think has value uh, or is is indicative of how we can kind of look ahead to projecting these guys? Sure. Um, you know, I think that there is a lot of stuff like, you know, Mason's account when he was out there uh, that was tweeting a, a lot about sort of team philosophy, um, the stuff leaders uh, across the board, certain types of profiles, and there's other accounts like that. Um, certainly our stuff, um, you know, we mix a lot of data that we've uh, been lucky enough to source, particularly in the college side of things, we have access to Synergy as well. Um, so we lean on some of that stuff too. And that's very valuable. I think where Synergy has its most value, value is when looking at um, travel ball tournaments and hitters and pitchers and getting video and then some numbers on how they performed at all these different tournaments throughout the previous summer. There is some high school stuff in there as well uh, and some US Team USA type of things. So it's, it is valuable. Uh, of course, a lot of those high school guys can mature, you know, over the course of that off season. Um, but we are still have very much heavily weighted and rooted in what these guys do in their pre sort of draft summer. Um, and that process is starting to kick off now. So there's a lot of information available, like on a site like ours, like, you know, like I said, for example, certainly what Carlos does, um, you know, I know that there's some other systems out there like a bags and things like that, that have done a pretty good job of like contextualizing college hitters and um, finding some underrated players. Um, you know, and I think that when you look at systems like that, you're looking at more like baseball card numbers, but there is some value to it. Um, and then sort of weighting it based on conference and age and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, and it's something that, you know, like internally, like Dylan and I have a robo scout score for college hitters. We have, um, you know, data based on, you know, the pitchers and pitch movement and stuff plus and, and all that sort of thing. And it's probably some stuff that we'll start to roll out now that the top 30s are done and we're leading up to draft time. And we'll have some post draft um, breakdowns as well. And of course, you know, the Cape Cod League here is, is roaring. So I have some pre-draft players that are more like rounds, we'll say four to 20 uh, and some NDFA type of guys that can be real interesting. And, you know, I've seen a couple of pop-ups like Chase Midroff last year, year before Gordon Graceffo, who now I think are in the conversation for top 100, top 200 prospects uh, in the game. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different ways and I'm kind of getting like long winded and like in like a few different, different avenues. But I think there's a lot of good content out there. You can certainly find like just basic baseball card stats, um, you know, on like baseball reference and that sort of thing. You can even take a look at what guys have done summer leagues previously. Um, but there is some stuff that we'll be rolling out too that kind of breaks this down and um, goes through some by the numbers type of stuff though. It's definitely been uh, it's a big loss to the, the draft community and the data side of things that, that Mason is now uh, employed. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny how that works where the, the people that are doing the, the best work get hired. Um, so what about from the, the team side of things? Like you've been covering the draft, following the draft for a long time. Uh, what do, what are teams really valuing most these days when it comes to data, when it comes to specific player types, how has that sort of evolved over the past like three to five years? Like what are the smartest teams really kind of doing? Yeah, I think it just, it sort of depends on the particular team. Um, you know, I think that there are 
more there's more of a focus now on the athlete when it comes to pitchers the type of traits they have as a thrower the way certain pitches move um whether they're pronation dominant or supination dominant uh, which is about wrist orientation and whether you're a supination guy which is someone who generates a kind of spin maybe has a little bit more of an inefficient you know inefficient uh fastball axis you know, pronators, typically easier change-ups, more efficient spin on those. Those are the guys that get like heavy ride. You know, somebody like Emmett Sheehan is a pronator. So it's teams identifying those traits and saying, hey, there's some low-hanging fruit here. This is how, you know, we can turn this player in from player X to player Y. The Dodgers do as good of a job of this as anybody. I think we see it year in and year out in the draft. You know, we've seen so many guys after the first two rounds with the Dodgers turn into really interesting prospects. Sheehan being a perfect example of that. You know, we have a guy like Peyton Martin, who's popping now, who I think they drafted in the 17th round from the high school ranks. Um, he's a guy that I think in the next year plus we'll be talking about a lot more just in terms of what the Dodgers have turned this guy into. Um, and they've even done it when they've, you know, made trades with other teams and they acquire guys like River Ryan, but like Nick Nestrini, um, you know, was certainly somebody they drafted that had some of these traits and characteristics you know, there's other teams that maybe are more focused on breaking ball quality um, and looking at guys that maybe can, you know, create sync on a fastball, maybe go from a four seamer to a two seamer. So there's a lot of like looking at certain profiles, particularly on the pitching side and like what can develop. I think that the smart teams are looking a lot in terms of hitting side of things. They're looking at athletes, they're looking at players that um, not only can adjust, but have some defensive value. And if they do fall down the defensive spectrum, there's still going to be like a position there long-term um, and impact. You know, I think we look at like the Cardinals and what they've done well in the draft um, over the last like five to six years, they've drafted a lot of guys that had traits where they hit the ball hard. And it was a matter of like adjusting the swing or doing this or whatever. They've taken a, a, a bet on some guys like Nolan Gorman, and Jordan Walker and develop those guys, you know, into hitters, um, which is a little bit more risky. You're going after some prep guys that maybe have some, some hickeys that you have to sort of figure out and be like, all right, I think our player development can do this. But I think the best teams, there is a unity and sort of a synergy between the identification side of things uh, on the draft, the area scouts, the cross checkers, the scouting director and the player development side of things and the type of traits and the type of players that these guys really can sort of accentuate the best qualities and traits of it's sort of a shopping for the groceries and cooking the meal and making sure that there is some synergy there. I use, I, it's a tired expression. I've used it a lot, but it's like, you're not going to take a great French chef and buy him, you know, ingredients to make, you know, a Japanese meal. He might still make a great meal, but you just keep him in his comfort zone. You buy him the, the ingredients that he can really cook with and you're going to get, you know, one of the best French meals you probably ever had. So, you know, I think when we look at teams and the, what the smart teams are doing, the Mariners, the Rays, the Orioles, of course, the Orioles have done a great job of identifying players. And it's not just on the prep side or the college side. It's really both mm -hmm. of hitters that can play a defensive position. They have some value there. There is some, some athleticism. They have impact in the bat. They make good swing decisions. And maybe there's a, a question about how much contact there is. And then they coach that up. Um, you know, we've seen it with like all these guys really over this, this, this recent generation, 
with guys like Henderson, even Adley to a degree. I mean, I know he was a slam dunk sort of player, but he falls into that category. Colton Kowser is a guy like that. Jordan Westberg is a guy like that. Judd Fabian, a player that's popping, is a guy like that. And even to a degree, once again, number one pick. But Jackson Holiday, I think what they bet on there was the the, the swing decisions, the plate skill quality between the, the, the contact ability, the swing decisions, the, the ability not to chase but to attack pitches that are in the zone, and then this, some impact. And the fact that he plays a position, and if he moves down the spectrum to third base or second base, still a really valuable player and could be an all-star. So I think when we look at some of these different teams, they're going after different qualities. The Mariners love guys that throw hard that are maybe a little bit more raw. And there's even some names that I'll keep, you know, in my vest right now that I think are coming out through that system over the next year plus that they target in the draft and, you know, seem to have some outlier traits that um, could make them into legitimate pitching prospects shortly. So all these different teams operate in different ways. Um, and I think the smartest teams are finding athletes on both sides of the ball with qualities and, and characteristics that they can accentuate and turn into like real skills. Yeah, I I was gonna say the the Orioles are, are always looking for the the guys that make good swing decisions, and you you said that for me. Um, and they've just done like it's the Orioles and the Dodgers kind of to me that just have. Uh, the most sort of impressive farm system builds uh, right now. And just doing that through the draft mm. is just, it's such a leg up when, when you're plucking, you know, three or four guys per draft who turn out to be legitimate prospects. That's, that's kind of a, an edge over most of the teams out there. Um, so as I said, I, I did the, the prep on uh, the college hitters in this class and uh, my process for that is is I basically watch the video, uh, look at the stats, and then read what you guys have to say on BA. Uh, and I did that for Dylan Cruz, and then I did that for Wyatt Langford, and then I did that for another dozen or so college hitters. And just for me, there was a ridiculous drop-off after Cruz and Langford to – uh, the rest of the college hitters. Uh, does that seem fair to you? Uh, is that is that where you are? Is there a third guy or a fourth guy that you, you're really, really high on? Or is there maybe a, a multi-tier gap there? No, I think you're right. I think there's three players here at the top of the draft and then everybody else. And it happens to be college players this year. Uh, if you're watching any of the College World Series games, I think we have saw Dylan Cruz and what he can do yesterday and in, in full display had an opposite field homer. Uh, and a big one for LSU and their victory as they move on today to play Wake Forest again. Um, Paul Skeens, who just we didn't ask about pitchers, but I think if you followed the draft even loosely in just college baseball, you've heard about the big tall guy that transferred from Air Force that throws 100 miles per hour and sits in the high 90s with you know a plus plus slider and a changeup. He hasn't even had to use that much. That I think is an above average pitch. I've seen Paul Skeens previously a few times um, on the Cape. You know I've. I've watched a ton of schemes this year i've seen the player that he's grown into and you're getting a guy that's come from pro instruction Wes johnson left the twins a few years ago went to lsu as the pitching coach and really like schemes has been his like primary protege the guy that he's really turned into um one of the you know most dangerous amateur pitchers on the planet if not the most dangerous amateur pitcher on the planet in several several years maybe a decade plus um so you know 
you then go to Lankford and Lankford has hit every bit as much as Cruz has dealt with an injury uh, when he fouled a ball, a ball off of himself early in the season and missed a few games, but there's a ton of power there. There's great swing decisions, a little bit more contact than Cruz. Um, and, you know, I think like you can argue athleticism maybe in Lankford's favor. So both like superstar college hitters, I think among the best college hitters that we've had in the draft and, once again, close to a decade. This is a, a pretty generational draft at the top, and it wouldn't shock me if we see three players who are all superstars get drafted one, two, three, and all be up in the big leagues uh, by July of 2024. I, I don't think that's crazy. I mean, there's some people saying that, like, you could draft Skeens now and put them directly in the big leagues. I wouldn't do it with Cruz and Langford, but I think that they're probably, like, immediate as- assignments to double-A. And then hit their way into the picture sometime next spring and, you know, could be up, as I said, by this point a year from now. So um, these are three very uh, talented players. And I think when you look at the college hitting class, getting back to the main question, it's them and then it's everybody else. And there is a, a pretty significant drop off when you're talking about these college hitters with those three guys. And then when we start to get into that sort of next group, and I even think with that next group that, depending upon your preferences and the type of players you like, you may not have the same as our top 20 college hitters. I know that like my three through 10 would be very different from what Carlos probably has ranked out the site. And, you know, Carlos does a great job of talking to um, scouts and cross checkers and decision makers all throughout the game. And this is more of a consensus ranking. So there's some teams who are higher on a Jacob Wilson or, you know, maybe higher on a Jacob Gonzalez than, than I am, and maybe less high on a Tommy Troy or a Matt Shaw or, you know, a Braden Taylor or, you know, even somebody like Brock Wilkin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot to unpack there. Um, I Yeah, Matt Shaw, Brock Wilkin, Tommy Troy, those are guys that really stood out to me uh, in a positive way uh, once we get past Cruz and Langford. And – Jacob Wilson, uh, who's the son of uh, Jack Wilson and is just really well known for his elite contact ability. He was the third guy I looked at and I was just like, holy shit. Like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) this is this is the third guy. Like, like, um, this is this is like three or four notches below Cruz and Langford. And uh, I can't believe this guy is going to potentially be like a top 10 pick or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's it does. It does feel like your personal preference. You can just kind of go where you want. And obviously things will crystallize a lot for first year player drafts um, because a lot of these guys will play and that'll affect their value. And a lot of group think will will seep into sort of the dynasty sure. valuations and stuff. But just as we sit kind of today, like my third favorite college hitter in the draft might be like the 15th college hitter off the board. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You think that I would probably bank on just because of the power that he's added, I would bank on Braden Taylor. Um, Beginning of the season season wasn't great. He really settled in. He started to hit for more impact. The swing decisions are there. The contact is there. Maybe he's a little bit safer, but I do think there is some yeah. some power I, I like versus, versus the Jacobs. Yeah, I, I like I like Taylor too. Um, so let's let's go. Let's 
on for Cruz and Langford, I was I was gonna kind of phrase it like like how many just big time prizes are there in this class? And you kind of answered that with the, the the top three of Cruz and Skeens and Langford. And you sort of were hinting at this, but just how do you compare Cruz and Langford to, you know, guys like Torkelson and Andrew Vaughn and Adley Rutschman and, you know, the, the very best college hitters to come through in the past, like five to 10 years. Yeah. I think Adley's just a different beast because the catcher. Thing, was, yeah. Yeah. And a switch hitting power hitter at catcher. Like it was yeah. like, if you made a potential franchise player in a lab, Adley, Adley Rushman would come out. So he's a different animal because of the defensive value there and just how unique he is. Um, but I think when we're talking about non-catcher category, straight position players, we probably have to go all the way back to like Chris Bryant for guys that have the sort of impact and immediacy that I think both of these guys have. Um, they don't have some of the issues, the outer half of the plate that Torkelson had. We're not talking right, right first baseman like we are with Andrew Vaughn and Torkelson. Um, and I, I think that, you know, there's a little bit more speed. Um, they could run a little bit more. That speed kind of lends itself to higher batting averages on balls in play. And like they're just a little bit less restricted as fantasy players in terms of what their ceiling is, right? And what their capacity is to sort of stuff categories. And both of these guys, for me, I'd be trading up into the draft, like give me all the assets. This is this is a year that if you can have the first four picks in an FYPD, you're doing damn well. And the reason I say four is we're going to have at least one Japanese superstar come over this year. It's probably Yamamoto. And Yamamoto is going to be far exceed the value that we've seen from Senga this year. Um, you know, younger, um, more polished, better stuff. And I think outside of Roki, probably the second best pitcher. So we may see him get the highest like bonus or be the most coveted Japanese player since Shohei Otani. You know, the bonus situation with Otani was a little funky because he came over so early. Um, but yeah, so I think that, you know, he's a guy where, you know, you want to be up there at the top of the draft. So I think like top four, you're going to end up with players that are going to be in the major league roster of your dynasty team within a year. And that's, that's crazy to say, like, cause we're coming off a, a pretty good year. Like Jackson holiday is pretty good. Sanga has been valuable. I mean, he's been very usable in dynasty. And then you have Yoshida who's been, if you listen to the projections and I, I fought this one like heavily internally because the feedback from scouts wasn't great, but the numbers and how they translated were so good. It was like, I can't ignore this. Um, and, you know, I know that Dylan and I had him like top five, four or five in our dynasty rankings and like, you know, getting guys that you can plug and play like right away is really valuable. And you're going to have age on your side this year with all four of them, which is not something you had last year. So I can't recall a time where we've had this many players at the top of the draft that could potentially slot right into your lineup within like the first year of rostering them. Um, even going back to like the 19 draft or when Otani signed, we just didn't have that level, you know? Yeah, and, and uh, you know another guy from last year who's just been a, a huge find if you if you took him is Zach Neto, um, who you know I know he's injured now, but uh, I liked him, but I didn't I didn't think he would be um, you know this good this quickly. 
against big league pitching uh, with with uh, Langford and with Cruz. Um, do you see those? Like, I'm kind of looking at them as they're just sliding right into the top ten of my top 400 right away. Is that does that seem valid to you? Yeah, I think there's even a, a case that Cruz and Langford could be top five. Yeah. I've argued. I've argued. I had an. I had a debate of Cruz versus um, Churio internally, and I think there's a case for Cruz. And I think if there's a case for Cruz, there's a case for Langford. Um, I'm not sure I would go quite Jackson Holiday yet. And Ellie De La Cruz may end up graduating before, <laughs> before it even really matters. Um, you know that it will only be a few weeks that we have to have that debate. Uh, but it'll it'll yeah. basically be so. Say say like De La Cruz, uh, Walker, Lewis all graduate. Like it's it's basically like Holiday, Churio, and then Junior Caminero to me is is like the top three. Would you? Where would you sort of slot Langford and Cruz with with Holiday, Churio, and Caminero? I think you got to have Cruz and Langford ahead of Caminero, and I like Caminero a lot. But I think when you're talking, I mean, obviously, like I've been talking about the guy for years, but yeah. like when you're talking about the impact plus the swing decisions, contact, yeah. uh, maybe runs a little bit more than Churio, outfielder, which I always feel like we maybe even underrate outfielders because you need like five of them, even in deep leagues sometimes. And like having that depth in outfield is so, so valuable. Uh, and then I think there's a case for Cruz over Churio because of the swing decisions. The fact he's going to be right in delay, there's power there. Uh, and you could potentially see him, let's say he goes to the pirates. You could potentially see him in the pirates lineup like next year, you know, like it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. If he hits the ground running mashes in double a sees a few weeks in triple a, playoffs, whatever, at the end of the season, and then, like, ramps it up in his first pro offseason, and then it's like, hey, we think Dylan Cruz, it's March 15th, hey, we think Dylan Cruz is going to break camp with the Pirates. They're a little bit more competitive, and this might make sense now. we got O'Neill Cruz back, everything, everything's rolling, they're hitting on all cylinders, kind of have an interesting team now that Central's up for grabs. Like, that seems like a very reasonable expectation, and, like, if Langford goes to, like, we'll say the Tigers or someone, he could absolutely be up with the Tigers and, you know, patrolling that outfield with, with Riley Green a year from now. I don't think it would be so shocking to see that either. So for both those guys, it's kind of like I could maybe take them over Churio and then we're talking three or four, right? Like, or even yeah. two or three. Um, and then Skeens kind of falls into that too, where Skeens is a guy where, you know, if Yuri graduates, I think Grayson on most lists outside of ours, because we go by a hard 50, has already graduated. Um, and it's like, where does he fall with the top pitching prospects, right? Like Bobby Miller's gonna graduate. We're gonna we're gonna lose the guys at the top of the list that are already in the major leagues, which I know you're like myself, where you kind of rank those guys a little bit higher when they're in the major leagues and they're having success, the Todd Bradley's, all those sort of guys. But the way they are, they were up so early, they're all right. gonna probably graduate, you know injury willing and then it's like them him or Andrew Painter and like it's crazy to think that we're going to have a draft that's going to restock the top 100 so much and I can tell you based on the amount of graduations we've had in the last week the amount of players we've had to add at the back end of the top 100 that were really kind of like uh like really iffy on yeah 
it's kind of nice to get this draft because it's so loaded. <laughs> and we even talked about the, the the prep hitters, which I don't think we'll talk about, but there's some pretty good prep hitters too. Well, yeah, and I and I should have mentioned Jordan Lawler too, and we were kind of talking about the top. Yeah. Um, yeah. You and yeah. I were you and I were kind of. I was about to release my updated rankings, and I and I remember just thinking like, well, he's. I don't know how I can keep him like top five based on what he's done so far, but like, I just know a heater's coming and uh, you could pretty much look at his game log. Like from when I updated the top 400, he's, he's like more than halved his strikeout rate and he's just been on fire. So Lawler definitely in that mix as well. Um, I was before- pushing him right, right behind James Wood in our top 100, which would I think is five or six. Like I would have had, I'd have him over Marcel and there, you know, uh, yeah. for sure. So I said that last so, week. Watch this pod too. <laughs> um, just quickly before I let you go, who who's your favorite uh, prep hitter in the class? Yeah, I mean, you got to look at you know Max Clark is like certainly like you know the name everybody knows, super talented, really interesting personality as well. Uh, but when we talk about who my favorite is, there's other guys like Aiden Miller who's really good, Colin, Colin Hawk who's like a bag of like above average tools. But I think the guy that I'm most enamored with is Walker Martin, who's a little bit older. He's going to be 19 and a half at the time of the draft. Uh, cold weather prospect out of Colorado. The 19-year-old stuff has become less of a big deal in recent years as we've seen success from guys like Bobby Wood Jr., Brett Beatty. Um, so teams are less concerned about that now. But the, but but the age thing goes into the models and. That's going to hurt him with certain teams, but he is a guy that I do think could probably go in the top 20 of the draft. And, you know, he's probably my favorite. There's big power there. He's showing hitting ability. I think he's had 20 something home runs or something like that this year in his high school season. Um, and because he was a cold weather prospect, he broke out a little bit later. I do another show. Uh, we released a new episode uh, this morning, actually called the 90th percentile. My co-host, Matt Pajak. Uh, who runs is one of the co-owners of Loden sports who travels around the country and does athletic testing for a variety of sports, but they are rooted and were focused initially on baseball. And he does a lot of it for these high schools, et cetera. He's tested Walker Martin. Uh, it's a one to 10 scale. And Martin is a nine. It's one of the highest testing athletes in the class. Um, and this is a guy, you know, when I first was turned on to Matt, he wrote a paper right after I think the 2018 draft where he made a case that Johnny DeLuca was a better baseball player and a better baseball athlete than Jordan Adams. And, and that's not a crazy at the time we've seen that play out. Yeah. Jordan Adams is still, you know, middling in, in triple a having a better season, but still a below average year in a great hitting environment. Seeing Johnny DeLuca get onto the 40 man roster, and then the active roster of the mighty loaded Dodgers and I think like, that goes to say, like, there is something here with this athleticism stuff. Projection, regardless of the age, really good body, really good athlete, incredible hitter. There's power and impact. He's a shortstop. These are the kind of guys I like. So, yeah, Walker Martin is my favorite sort of prep name this entire class. Jeff, why don't you promote whatever you uh, whatever else you've been working on and, and let people know where they can find you? Sure. So we just released all of our updated top 30s uh, over on Baseball America. Those came out over the last week. Uh, so I had seven teams that I had to cover. I had most of the AL East. I had the Red Sox. I got the Orioles. I got the Blue Jays. Uh, I also have the Cardinals, as I always do. Always have the Rockies. Always have the Astros. 
Uh, and then I added in the Braves too, which is just a joy to rank the Braves top 30 right now. How <laughs> that system is. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, so all that stuff is out. We have uh, the risers coming out today, tomorrow. We'll have the fallers within those. And then we'll have an injury update coming out. I'm also working on uh, first half breakout hitters, looking at guys that are outside the top 100, but have really good data looking at like expected WOBA, uh, exit velocity data, looking at the contact rates, looking at the approach stuff. So, you know, chase rates versus swing, some of those sort of things. So that will come out a little bit later this week. I got a ton of video. I'm going to be hitting six games over the next six days between the Cape Cod League. And I have Hartford versus uh, Erie here. So that's Colt Keith versus Yankee Fernandez. So you're going to see a lot of homers, a lot of, a lot of hard contact, hopefully have a lot of video up of that stuff. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty juiced up about all the things we have going on. And then I can't wait for the next top 30 updates uh, because the next top 30 updates, we're going to have a lot more runway with the DSL and the FCL and the ACL guys. I think you'll see there are some FCL, DSL and ACL climbers, but you'll see some guys that are maybe ranked a little bit lower than they would have been had we started this process two weeks later. We start, we start this process, you know, really the beginning of May. We work all throughout the month going to games, talking to scouts, talking to cross-checkers, talking to front office people, saying them over rankings, going back and forth, getting some feedback from them, re-ranking players, and then all of a sudden the complex league start up. We had three days of complex league play when we released the first lists. So we didn't have even a full week yet to go off of, and now we're seeing some names. Like a Brooks Brandon is a guy that got awful reviews in extended spring training, but has been awesome in FCL play. So he's guys going to jump back onto the Red Sox list after jumping off. And there'll be a lot of, like I said, complex level players, uh, particularly from the DF, DSL, that I think we'll probably jump on to now that we're getting some feedback on those guys. We're getting some data and we're getting some scout calls and information. So all that stuff is going. We're going to be at the Futures game. Actually, I have the Futures game rosters. I wrote uh, up about 20 players, all for my seven orgs, for the Futures game programs because we actually write the programs that they hand out. I'll be out there at the Futures game, be out there in Seattle at the draft. Uh, so that's a couple of weeks away. So a lot of baseball for me over the next couple of weeks. Be back home for a few weeks, working the Cape, working the local stuff. And then beginning of August, I'm actually going to be out in FCL, seeing some Florida Complex League in the morning. And then in the evenings, I'll be shooting over to Florida State League to get some of those games. So a lot of, a lot of looks at uh, games that aren't on television, which is always a lot of fun if you're someone who shoots video like me to get some exclusive stuff out there and let the people see what these players actually look like. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, the like Colt Keith and Jan Keel Fernandez were two guys I was going to ask you about if we had more time. So that's great that you're going to get to see them. And uh, I'll be writing a lot of player notes for the site based on that injuries article that'll come out. So everyone should be subscribed to baseball America. Uh, if you're not definitely uh, ratify that, but uh, love talking to you, Jeff, really appreciate you stopping by. Yeah. And uh, thanks. Thanks so much for bailing me out here. No problem. A new website coming next week, too. Almost forgot that. We have a new Baseball America site that's going to be launching over the next seven days or so. So excited for that because it's going to bring us into the modern age and uh, all that good stuff. So, yeah, excited to see that as well. Uh, have a good rest of your day, buddy. You too, man. Take it easy.